Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Dial in for Maple, the AV Club's podcast that normally takes a deep dive look at Riverdale. But today we're doing something different. We're trekking across Sweetwater River into Greendale to discuss the first season of Netflix's The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. I'm your host today, Cameron Sheets, and this week I'm joined by a very special guest, the AV Club's deputy TV editor, Danette Chavez. Danette, hello. Hello, boils and ghouls. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're killing it already. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I don't think it's too late for that, right? It's only November 2nd and it's my last chance to use that. Right, right. It's still Halloween season, especially because the show's still out there and everyone's still watching it and talking about it. It's kind of helping Halloween live on longer than it does. Plus, we have another really scary holiday coming up just around the corner, which oh, is um, the election day. <laughs> <laughs> um, fingers crossed, little witch magic will help us out um, on election day. Uh, wow, we're getting political already. Um, <laughs> let's get into that in a little bit. Uh, Danette, we always like to start off in memory of Archie punching the ice to save Cheryl in the first season of Riverdale, we start off every episode with an ice puncher um, to punch the ice, to break the ice a little bit. And my my question for this one is, because it was something that was talked a lot about in the development of this show, is what would be your dream version of a crossover show between, like a crossover episode between Riverdale and Chilling Adventures of Sabrina? What would you want to see in that? Um, okay, so like in terms of a plot, right? Okay, so I would love to see... Um, Betty and Veronica maybe joining the unseen the Academy of Unseen Arts. Like I think mm-hmm. that would be a fun plot. But in terms of just like a scene, I would like to see. I th- like I always look at Sabrina and Harvey as kind of the Archie and Betty from the comics, right? Not so much from the show, but we're like you've got this like uh, exceptional woman and this really average dude, and so I would just like to see them kind of looking at like lined up and looking. <laughs> across at each other like these mirror images you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that they just kind of give me that vibe yeah no they definitely do kind of have that vibe they're like so wholesome um in this (laughs) especially at the beginning before we really start getting the dark stuff yeah i like that i kind of like the whole it makes me think that there's a some a lot of old shows did this but i remember an episode of um hey arnold where they go to like the neighboring town and everyone's kind of like this alternate reality version of all the characters and it feels like sabrina and harvey are the mirror image (laughs) version of them absolutely yes um i think my dream crossover episode and well I also had already tweeted this, but I just want to see, it doesn't even need to be like a face-off, but I want to see Cheryl, Blossom, and Prudence in a room together. And maybe they just kind of like glare at each other for a full hour, but that would be probably the most riveting episode I could imagine. I am going to have to agree with you on that. I actually, that that <laughs> sounds amazing. Sign me up. Yeah, let's, let's green light that for sure. Um... Cool. Well, let's kind of get into things. I mean, this is, you know, usually we're talking about one episode of Riverdale a week, but we're kind of just trying to like talk about the season of Sabrina as a whole. I know a lot of people binged it, um, but I'm really excited to have you. I mean, I would be excited no matter what, but I'm really excited to have you this week because 
you wrote the AV Club's pre-air review for the series, um, and your piece on it was one of the first things I had seen about it ahead of time. So when I saw that you gave it a positive review, I was like, oh, thank goodness, like, sigh of relief, like, very, very excited to dig into it. Um, so, I mean, I we I have some quotes from that that I pulled and I want to kind of talk sure. about, but, like, what are your just general thoughts on this the season as a whole? Um, you know, I, I mentioned, I, I think this is clear from just the headline, right, that the show takes its, t- its <laughs> time, but it'll put a spell on you. I mm-hmm. mean, I can, I can understand why people might drop out at that halfway point <laughs> because, you know, like it's interesting <laughs> up until a certain part, but like it's with the sixth episode that it really, be, you know, that it turns into something that, you know, you want to race through to the end, which, um, you know, it works for a streaming series because you can actually do that, right? Like, you know, it, the yeah. show can actually uh, reignite its, you know, your faith in it because you can finish it out <laughs> in the weekend. Um, where if it were like, if it were posting on like a Riverdale schedule, like, uh, it 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 might have a little more trouble. It's, um, yeah, I I I think um, on average it. It's a great start to the show, but those first five episodes—the first five episodes—will make you work for it. Yeah, I, I I see what you're saying. I mean, you specifically say it's not until the sixth episode when the team starts to really delve into the darker side of Greendale, and I mean, I I totally agree with you. I wonder if um, I mean, I think I've seen conflicting thoughts on episode five, which is the the kind of like bottle episode, essentially with the demon batty bat. Um, <laughs> and we can talk about that more later too, but like that kind of, that's, that stands out for a couple of reasons. One, it is completely separate from like, I, there is a pretty clear larger arc to this season, but this feels like demon of the week, almost like Buffy. Like, mm-hmm. did you, what were your thoughts on that episode? And as like someone, if this was on a weekly CW sort of show or you're watching every week, do you think that that's an episode that people would have like started tuning out of? Oh no, I, I I do think the fifth episode is actually um it it is a very good episode on its own. But mm-hmm. like you, you mentioned, you know, it, it is a bottle episode, um, because you know, the idea is that Sabrina uh unleashes the sleep demon who then <laughs> he, it torments the spellmans in the house. Um and so it doesn't necessarily like it you're right that it kind of feels of a piece with the general season. But it's very much like a, a monster or a demon of the week. It's very much in the spirit of Buffy. Uh, I love that they went mm-hmm. with very practical effects for it. I was going to say the practical stuff was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, what the reason the sixth episode marks the turning point is because it it starts to blend the two worlds much better. Or, you totally. know, like the, the the two worlds really start to merge in a compelling way. Like up until that point, and I, you know, this is something that I put in my review. Early on, I'm just like, oh my God, Sabrina, j- you know, just do it. Just put your name in that book. There's really nothing <laughs> for you in the mortal world. Harvey is nice. Ross Lynch was great and my friend Dahmer. But I, you know, I, I couldn't understand <laughs> the appeal. Also, she's only 15. Like, why wouldn't you want to check out like a I mean, you know, 15 going on 16, but like, why wouldn't Mm -hmm. you want to check something else out? But it's with the sixth episode that they, you know, that it justifies the small town setting, you know, where, where, you know, you you understand not just why she might want to stay, but what could be keeping her from leaving. Yeah, you start to get a sense, too, of, I mean, you definitely touch on this, like, 
this is a town that is special for a number of reasons. And like, I, I guess it's kind of just a weird coincidence, but it does kind of help serve the story that all of Sabrina's quote unquote mortal friends end up having these weird supernatural connections. You've got yeah. Roz and the cunning that runs in her family. And then, then you've got Susie and Susie's uh, great, great aunt it was the ghost that kind of brought all these, that saved all these women um, back, all these witches for, way back in the day. And then Harvey, of course, ha- comes from, I mean, it's talked about somewhat, but like he's maybe got like this witch hunting lineage um, that he comes from, which is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, and I, I agree with you. Once you, <laughs> once the the possessed uncle, oh my gosh, Uncle Jesse, by the way, how funny is that? <laughs> <laughs> uncle Jesse is possessed. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I like they had to have done that on purpose, right? It seems oh, like yeah. the sort of thing where it's like you can't just name an uncle character Uncle Jesse and not bring up those connections. <laughs> oh yeah, especially not when both of those shows are on Netflix. Right. Oh, you're totally right. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, very very funny. But right, that sort of sets things in motion and and you really get a sense of the the darkness of the witch side of things and Sabrina diving into it. I, well, Another quote from your review before I rambled too much is you say the historical subjugation of virtually everyone who's not a cishet white man clearly informs the series. But there is a hint of dogma in the stylishly frightening story. Like, I think that kind of sums up the general mission statement in a way. Like, you know, they, they certainly wanted to turn this into more. I mean, you know, a lot of people have, I think jokingly thrown out the term like oh this is woke sabrina you have heart hot yeah. archie on tv now and you have woke sabrina and i think that obviously is really interesting and a, a smart thing to play with i think there's times where it feels like you're a little confused on what the show was trying to say but it does become pretty clear especially at the end of the season oh yeah um like i it's sometimes you know they're a little heavy-handed uh, in the in the treatment, but you know, like the the whole the club being called Wicca is kind of cute, like you know, and that your mileage may vary. There. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you might have found that heavy handed, but I I thought it was really funny. But yeah, um, mm-hmm. uh, it's very much um, like it's it's critical. I mean, it's not perfect in that, right? Like we, I think this is something mm-hmm. we're going to talk about a bit later, and really, you know, the treatment of its characters of color and it you know, it's LGBTQ characters, um, you know, it, it's not by any means perfect in that, but I, but it, it has purpose. Um, but it mm-hmm. doesn't beat you over the head with any of that, you know, like w- patriarch, the term patriarchy is thrown out a couple of times, but this, uh, this doesn't tell it shows. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think that the, the show, even when it is hitting these bigger themes and, you know, hitting on these really important themes, it's still, is fun and there's like kind of a tongue in cheek. I mean, people have called it campy. Like there's certain parts of it that are extremely campy and so so fun. I think it always has a good sense of humor about itself, which is important too. Um, it keeps it light, even if it even you know, no matter how like actually dark things on in the show are actually getting. It's it's like a very fun, quick, fast paced show. Um, and I think it's it does a really it's a really good tonal balance all all the way throughout. I would say the the whole season is. Um, We've kind of talked about, well, only just a little bit, but I kind of want to talk, start talking about the cast and all these characters. Um, of course, we can't not talk about Kieran and Shipka as Sabrina. She's in the lead role. I mean, what's your take? Do you think she makes a good anchor for the series? You know, early on, I, I was worried that she was a little too natural. 
you know, like she, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. she sometimes early on, it feels like she is not in the same show as the rest of the Spellman family. <laughs> um, yeah. But then it just, you know, over time, it, it begins to make sense. Like she she is half mortal. Like she would not, you know, be perfectly, you know, in tune with the rest of the family because she's got this foot in the mortal world. Um, and I think she teases, you know, give, you know, like w- there's a huge change by the end of the season, right? But, yeah. you know, she yeah. gives us glimpses uh, of like this, you know, badass witch that she's going to become, <laughs> um, you know, in in the way that she sticks up for her friends, you know, um, the way that she taunts the principal, you know, who is played by Bronson Pinchot. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Yeah, very funny. Did not know he was going to be in this, but. (laughs) Yeah. um, But, you know, like it's it's something else. This is another case of the show having to grow on you. But Mm -hmm. by the end, I was convinced. What about you? Yeah, I I, I like her quite a bit. I mean, it's so it's such a 180 from Mad Men, which is, you know, obviously the thing that most other folks will know her from. Um, It makes me want to I know she's done a few like. Uh, indie movie. She did this horror movie, The Black Coat's Daughter, I believe, that yeah. um, people seem to really like. And that makes me want to watch that and see. I mean, that is just a straight up horror, but I wonder if there is some sort of like bridging the gap sort of thing between Mad Men and this performance. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think she's great. She's very earnest, but you do, you know, especially up front, as you were saying, she's always like trying to help her friends, but then you do kind of see it's not entirely surprising when she has to do some of these like darker more selfish things to accomplish her goals like I, I think she sells it I've I've had I know some some friends of mine and some other people online I've I've heard say that she she does not handle herself well but I, I don't know I think I think she's a great anchor she's someone that you do want to root for and I mean maybe you want to root for her to sign the book like that's a whole other that's a whole other thing but I mean you know you want her to succeed absolutely oh, yeah. um other extremely important characters in this show are Aunts Hilda and Zelda. I could not love them more, but is there one I love more than the other? That is the question. Do you? How do you? How do you feel? What's your What's your take on the ants? Um, I absolutely love the uh, the um, the Joan Crawford uh, Betty Davis thing <laughs> they have going on. You know, from like uh, whatever that. happened to Baby Jane. Like they definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's. And I, I think the, I mean, obviously this, this is, this show is sourced from the comics that Roberto Aguirre Sacasa oversaw mm-hmm. or overseas, because there's no reason for me to think that it's over. But, um, you know, it, it their relationship is the same, whether it's in the sitcom, you know, where you've got the older, more responsible sister, uh, you know, you've got Zelda who are, you know, just. She's more exacting, right? And then you've got mm-hmm. uh, Hilda, who's just more fun-loving, and it's you see that here. But like it, you know, it all takes on like an even more like um, like it, it. It just has a much evil, much more evil glint here, right? Like, yeah. I mean, the fact that like when they fight, uh, Zelda kills Hilda <laughs> and buries her. Yeah. Like knowing that she's going to come back, but it's still, right, you right. know, she observes but it's dark. It. Yeah. And she observes at one point, right? <laughs> she's like, it's taking you longer to come back. And it's like, you know, and the, but the, the, the show doesn't just treat that, you know, I mean, I, I think it eventually gets into this, you know, um, 
there's the there's a bit in the second half of the season where you know they kind of talk about Zelda, you know, wanting wanting to have had kids of her own and stuff, and how you know the two, the two aunts are like these different types of like. Um, mm-hmm. femininity you know they, they 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 embody femininity in different ways you know where like zelda's more of a vamp where hilda's very domestic right um right and how like you know like those are these two i mean this is the way that it informs why they spar right um absolutely yeah, yeah they I, I lucy davis plays hilda and <laughs> She is so, uh, she just kills me. I mean, I think a lot of folks will know her from, well, if you, Wonder Woman, I think most recently, she had a great supporting role in Wonder Woman, but she was the Pam of the British office, the original office. She was the Dawn, She's in Shaun of the Dead. She's just been great forever. And I love, I love what she does with Hilda. Like, it's such like a goofy kind of flighty character but she feels very real and grounded but she adds all these little touches where even if she's not the focus of a scene you kind of see her kind of doing a little I I can't you can't get my impression uh, across the mic because (laughs) it's not that great to begin with but like there's so many little movements and little head tilts and things that she does it's amazing and then yeah Miranda Otto is is Zelda I think is is really great and at the first half of the season you're like oh she's just kind of I mean she's fun she is vampy for sure but she's she seems a little mean-spirited, but as the season goes on and as Sabrina's going through things, you see her kind of grappling with really her, like, beliefs in the in the Church of Satan and everything mm-hmm. and uh, kind of con- coming to terms with that and realizing that, yeah, she this, this religion maybe has empowered her, but then she really comes to terms with how the religion itself, especially through Father Blackwood, is also being shaped by, by men and the patriarchy and is maybe confining yep. her more than she had ever thought. Um, so I I love her arc. I think it's incredible, and and they both end in an interesting place, which um, the season an interesting place, which we can touch on in a bit. Yeah. Uh, do you the rest of the cast? Who is your favorite from the rest of the supporting cast? Um, have, what, like, is there a standout character for you? Oh God, Ambrose Chance Perdomo is uh, amazing. <laughs> I mean, he's beautiful. Yes. And I know like yep. a lot of people Check. were very upset about like not having a talking Salem. And, like, <laughs> I don't mean to diminish uh, Ambrose's presence at all, but, you know, the way that he perches on things and the way he kind of, like, mm-hmm. slinks around, like, he's got the—I mean, I, I feel like we're getting that Salem character without it being the Salem character, you know? Yeah, we still have a cat <laughs> that yeah. talks, basically, in the form of him. Mm-hmm. And he has to stay in the house, too, as most cats would. It's really funny. Yeah. Um. Interesting. You brought up the comics earlier, and I I had read the the comics that have come out thus far in the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina series, and there are a lot of differences. and And Salem in those comics does talk and has like a pretty detailed backstory. And I wonder if we'll get to that in the second season. But I I think you're definitely right. Like Salem is there to to be cute and kind of save the day time and again. But Ambrose really fills that like witty retort, like kind of sly ally to Sabrina role that mm-hmm. I think people are looking for. Um, and yeah, he's so great. And I love his like robes and just house fashion. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And and he's pansexual. So pansexual LGBTQ icon. We're we're happy to we're happy to have that. <laughs> um I'm excited to see what happens with him now that he's not so housebound. And at the end of the season he kind of finds himself in an odd place where he's like looking around, he's like, holy shit, I'm in Father Blackwood's like weird boys club all of a sudden. And I don't even, that seemed to come out of nowhere in some respects. But like, I think, 
I think that'll be important for him in his arc in season two, which I'm excited to see. Oh, yeah. It's it's a small um, moment, but like he, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned the way that Hilda will be seen in the background kind of like gulping, right? Like it, it, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a nonverbal thing, but it still gets so much across. And the way he kind of looks around wide eyed, like, like, whoa, uh, at the end when, you know, they're all like <laughs> yeah. toasting to like, you know, you know, manpower kind of stuff or warlock power um, is hilarious. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, and then, I mean, Ambrose is my favorite, but we 1000% have to give a shout out to Mary Wardwell, a.k.a. Well, <laughs> Madam Satan, the artist formerly known or currently known as Madam Satan, formerly known as Mary <laughs> Wardwell. She is... Something else. My God, what a performance. What hair. Like, Carrie yes. Russell and Connie Britton better be looking out because Michelle Gomez, <laughs> that hair is l- luscious. <laughs> Seriously. It is the hair that the one character from Inhumans should have had. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, God. that I, I saw some clips from that. That hair is... Her hair is a creature all its own and is gorgeous. Mary <laughs> Wardwell's. I think the two, like... Such a fun character. The two things I kind of wish we got is we we get essentially one scene with her as this kind of like nebbish Mary Wardwell, the teacher that they all knew. Seems very sweet, has a good relationship with Sabrina. I wish we would have seen a little bit more of that prior mm-hmm. to see what this transformation really means. And then I also wish she would have gotten a little bit more of like the students questioning her and being like, what is... Why why is Mrs. Wardwell all of a sudden like wearing very low cut shirts and I don't know it, it seems like it goes unquestioned that she is all of a sudden this completely different person and I wish the show would have like let the characters interrogate that more cuz I think it could have been fun but I'm by no means complaining about what we do get because she's a blast. Oh yeah, I Michelle Gomez is amazing especially once they really let her, you know, do her thing. Yeah. Right. Like er- early Definitely. on, um, she's, you know, there's a little too much of that, like just kind of, you know, hiding out in the shadows and watching. Lurking. Happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, it makes sense at the end. Right. When you when you find out that like she totally. she hasn't been trying to destroy Sabrina. Right. She's she like she has mm-hmm. actually been trying to mentor her in a sense. Um but yeah, it, it considering she went from being, you know, the kind of everybody was kind. Of, do you remember when when you first meet her and the, the students all kind of laugh at her, you know, at Sabrina for inviting <laughs> yeah. her to hang out with them? And I'm like, and so they go from that to like these be- to her like walking around in these pumps and these beautiful sheath dresses, <laughs> you know, like yeah, and everybody's just kind of like, her- and considering it's a small town. You know, like for right, nobody to course. be like, oh, maybe, you know, like maybe she's having a lot of really great sex and that's why she looks amazing. <laughs> right. And now everybody's just <laughs> right. kind of like, mm, maybe she finally found a different store to shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Her emerald like satin house robe thing is another great piece that I want to own for myself. Um, lots of other characters to get into, but we should take a quick break and then we'll get back and talk more about just the season in general. Hi, I'm Erica Mandy from the Newsworthy Podcast, where we break down all the day's news in less than 10 minutes. And we know right now all the COVID-19 news coverage can feel a bit overwhelming. Our goal is to keep you updated in a way that gives you the facts and need-to-know information without causing unnecessary panic. 
We give you the serious stuff and the actions we all need to be taking, but we also remind you about the positive, all in 10 minutes each weekday. Just search for The Newsworthy in your podcast app or go to thenewsworthy.com. That's thenewsworthy.com. Okay, we're back, and uh, of course, I'm here with Danette Chavez this week, and we're talking all of season one of Sabrina, talking about our favorite points, um, some things that we question, that sort of thing. Um, we, we just touched on a lot of our, like, you know, the big the big main characters and a lot of our favorite parts there, but, uh, and when we started the conversation, we were talking kind of about the arc of the series. I think it's interesting that this season is 10 episodes, and it does kind of break down in a few different acts in a mm-hmm. sense and we end in this really interesting place where um the past like seven or eight episodes of sabrina's actions her kind of taking charge even when she shouldn't or she doesn't have a full grasp of her powers a lot of that really kind of falls back on her especially with the whole tommy bringing um harvey kinkle's brother tommy back to life i think is pretty fascinating um and I really like that you kind of get this, you know, she is the protagonist of the series that we're supposed to relate to. I really like that she makes these decisions that aren't maybe the best decisions and they actually do come back and, and bite her in the ass. Like she does feel the consequences and people do kind of turn on her. I mean, she loses her boyfriend and I feel like, you know, in a normal, in an average teen series, you don't always see the lead get their have their reckoning in in such an intense way like you do in the show. So I applaud the show for going there. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, she she actually acts like a teenager, right? Like she, Mm -hmm. you know, she her adolescence is probably a bit different from yours. I don't know if somebody asked you to meet them in the woods and sign (laughs) your name into the devil's book. But, you know, she her her, you know, her teen years are different from ours, but she's still kind of impetuous, you know. She still thinks that having good intentions is more important than anything else, right? Like, you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter that she, you know, brought back a soulless body on some level. Like, or it's maybe she doesn't think that it doesn't matter, but um, it, it's more like it. Everybody should understand that at least, you know, that she did it all with the best of intentions. And that, to me, is a very kind of adolescent thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she's she's learning, as as everyone does in their teen years. And it's just naturally you're going to make mistakes. And it's not it's going to be awkward. And this just happens to have, like, way bigger implications when we're talking about, like, souls and uh, and Satan himself uh, and that sort of thing. It's it's really funny. I mean, it makes for a great allegory about, like, growing up and, and learning yourself uh, and learning about yourself, but also not just with the teen characters. I mean, again, we already talked about uh, Zelda and Hilda. Like, I think there's a whole thing about learning to learning about your own power and not not just like magical powers, but power within yourself to kind of take charge of your own life. I, I, I loved that whole arc. And it's really interesting where, where things end with her. I mean, she's one got like, I don't even know if you call it platinum hair. It's like, it's basically white yeah. hair at the, in the very last scene. Um, and she's with the Wicked Sisters. And, and like, yeah, I, th- I think we're kind of conditioned to see the Wicked Sisters at the beginning as, as, bad guys so in a sense you're like oh wow she's fully on the dark side now at the end but we also learn a lot more about them as the season goes along and we know that they're just like complicated teens trying to grow up and navigate this weird magic world too so it's it's it 
I, I really like that it ends up that in that in that way. We we I want to talk more about the Wicked Sisters because it ties into these bigger issues. I guess issues is maybe the right word with the show that some people have called attention to. One, I, I mean, I want to say like I think a lot of people have like really been happy with the show and enjoying the show. I've seen so many gifts of it on Twitter already, which I always think is a good sign. Um, but you know, I think there's uh, certain outlets I've seen have run some pieces talking about. Um, how it treats its characters of color and how it addresses uh, gender and sexuality. And and one such article is from Gizmodo with the headline being The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina's Characters of Color Deserve Better. Um, you you read this and actually you had sent it to me, Danette. What was kind of your read on this piece? Well, I mean, it, this it's tricky because, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you mentioned that my review is one of the like I. It, it it gets tricky when you're trying to hit that embargo, right? When you've got a review and, yes. <laughs> you know, like you want to get it out early um, to, you know, to like uh, pique people's interest. And also because, you know, we we had episodic reviews, right? So I was like, you know, one, one what's the appetite and then you've got the recaps right. to really like dig into it. Um, but I mean, this is so... The issue or, you know, like the crux of the the piece that you you mentioned is that, you know, um, that representation, there's a difference between diversity and representation is what it boils down to. Mm -hmm, Right. Like mm -hmm. it's great that the show has so many characters of uh, so many performers of color in like major Mm -hmm. roles. Right. Like Tati Gabrielle is Prudence. Right. Who is another like amazing character in this show. Um, so great. And but the problem is, you know, she I mean, she has an interesting arc, but it's, you know, like it kind of boils down to daddy issues, which, you know, like and this, mm-hmm. you know, they might I don't think that they have a ton of writers of, of color in their writer's room, you know, and so like that informs how developed the show is. But like the big thing is there's that scene where, you know, they're they're you know, they're supposed to be reenacting the hanging of these 13 witches. and Oh, yeah. The harrowing episode. Yeah. And because, you know, I mean, like they base they have what what looks like a lynching scene ultimately. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what what gets tricky with all these shows about like magical beings? Like, I mean, when I think about stuff like Harry Potter and how, Mm-hmm. You know, we have the idea is that there are certain characters that basically represent marginalized people, but then they ignore like actual history, right? Like in Harry Potter, mm-hmm. like people say, you know, half bloods and, you know, muggles and stuff, but nobody really talks about, you know, the the lack of Asian students or like, you know, Hispanic. Do, do you know what I mean? And so this is yeah, uh, like, yeah. like that scene is just, ugh. but it speaks to like uh-huh. a bigger problem and it's that you know um when you're not really thinking about how these care you know when you don't have the right people working or helping you shape these stories like you know you can end up with something that's insensitive but also you know the bigger problem is that when you're trying to tackle a real life issue through these like metaphors and then you you ignore the real life issue right like it, 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 it's how you end because, you know, the idea is that Sabrina is the one who's being bullied for being, you know, mixed. And it's like 
okay, but like, so then was, is this happening in some alternate reality where, you know, the Salem, right, right. the Salem witch hunt happened, but slavery didn't like it's, yeah. And, and, and this is by no means the only example of this, but you know, I think sure, sure. The, the piece that we're talking about, um, I think it's Charles Pulliam Moore. Um, mm-hmm. he, you know, like it, it, it's part of that, that bigger issue that when, you know, when you're trying to to tackle these like relevant issues, you know, in these metaphorical ways that sometimes you miss the mark by not just, by not just, you know, dealing, dealing with them head on. Yeah. I mean, right. It's, it's great that Hollywood is, is slowly, slowly, slowly getting better at casting, um, more diverse, putting more diverse casts together. But I mean, the truth is it's still, you know, you hear that term post-racial society tossed around a lot. We're obviously, it's it's not the case, and we're never going to be in that case because of what you talked about with, with our history, the, the country's history with slavery and that sort of thing. So it seems so, so, in, it's just an odd choice to kind of show that lynching scene and just not have it, like, really affect uh, the characters in any real way, especially Prudence. Um yeah, and, and you brought up Harry Potter. I kind of was thinking it in relation to that and, uh, like, X-Men, like, the mutants in X-Men. Like, yeah. the mutants and wizards, they're supposed to, like, be stand-ins for these marginalized communities. Yeah. But then it also just doesn't really address that those marginalized communities also still exist. Exactly. Um, so it lets you kind of just talk about things broadly. It's almost like wanting to have the best of both worlds, but without really addressing the issues. Yep. Um, but... I mean, speaking of representation, the other thing that was brought up, another Gizmodo piece uh, headline was Chilling Adventures of Sabrina has confused some views, has some confused views on sexuality. Um, And it goes on to talk more about uh, pansexuality, which we can touch on in a second. But it also mentions um, Susie, the character, I believe the actor's name is Lachlan. I'm forgetting their last name now. But... um, Played by Watson. Lachlan. Lachlan uh, they're Watson. non-binary. That's it. Thank you. I want to say Lachlan Monroe, but that's the guy that plays Hal on Riverdale. Very mm-hmm. different. Um, <laughs> I I really liked Susie, and I like that... I mean, they kind of... Susie gets pushed around, especially by those... The, like, the jock bullies early on. But Susie kind of learns to come uh rise above that in some senses and i i had read an interview with lachlan watson where lachlan like really kind of helped shape what the story was there was going to be a whole storyline um within the season where Susie comes out uh, as non-binary to the uh to the rest of the characters but i i think lachlan said that they felt that it wasn't necessary um and they just kind of let Susie exist as they are, which I thought was a really kind of special thing that you don't see a ton of. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the, I think Lachlan Watson is great in the role. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, the, the way that the show handles it up until you get to that revelation, right. That Susie is from this, you know, she has like this amazing lineage, right. Like her ancestor, Dorothea Putnam, um, uh, she brought over um, witches, basically. I mean, the the idea is that she was like um, helping uh, like marginalized people from the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Um, and which mm-hmm. is which is very cool. But up until then, you know, like you just kind of see Susie get knocked around, you know, when whenever you know, like <laughs> S- yeah. Sabrina kind of yeah. like warps back into the high school, and then it's like, oh, you know, Susie's getting beat up again. I just it thankfully doesn't get to that 
it doesn't go to the extent of like, you know, because um, I mean, you know, we're talking about representation, right? And a lot of LGBTQ right. characters, we just see their suffering, right? Like there's no other way to like show, to depict these characters, to depict marginalized people than to show their suffering. And it's like Post does a great job of showing you know, like the bravery and the talent, mm-hmm. and, you know, like the love. And, you know, early on, Susie's character is just kind of like, you know, she's she's defined by her by her suffering, which is not ideal. Yeah, you're right. And so I'm glad right. that they that they flush it out. But, you know, clearly they still have some work to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. That that article on Gizmodo also addresses one. I mean, I brought up the the jock bullies at the beginning. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, a couple of like kind of gay panic jokes with them. Yeah. Um, which like as a gay man myself, I kind of like I I don't necessarily take that personally, but I do mm-hmm. understand why it's like this is part of a long history of TV and other media kind of like throwing gay panic jokes in our face, and I I yeah. see why that can be an issue. But it was also like these are. Yeah, these it's only a gay panic thing in these jocks minds, but of course the show highlighting that within the show is just further perpetuating that that idea. Yeah. Um and the article also brings up uh just the fact that like apparently the witches are all pansexual, but it had some issues with the way that was portrayed as well. Yeah. Um I mean I I think the it's uh Beth, Beth Elderkin, um, who's, you know, at our, yeah. our sister mm-hmm. site, uh, IO9, mm-hmm. um, you know, she she mentions that uh, the way and it, it, like she sourced a lot of uh, quotes from the performers, right, from, you know, Chance yeah. Perdomo um, about how uh, or I'm sorry, the actor that plays uh, the. Oh, the, Nicholas Scratch. Yes. Um uh, his name is Gavin Leatherwood, which yeah. also might as well be a warlock right? name. <laughs> exactly. You know, but the idea that like, um, you know, she it, she raises the question of why exactly they can't just love. Right. Because it's, you know, mm-hmm. like already there there's this idea that, you know, bisexuals or pansexuals are greedy or they're flighty. Right. Because like, you know, they 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 don't just pick one. Right. Like, you know, you're, you're not yeah. just into this or the other. Right. It's she you know, it's this still this very binary way of thinking. And so, you know, she she raises some good points about how, like, Mm -hmm. you know, sex can exist, exist without love and you can be in love without having a whole lot of sex or any sex. Right. (laughs) But the idea that they would be mutually exclusive is weird. (laughs) You know, it's again, it's it's not ideal. Um, They have an actual pagan working uh, with the team <laughs> on their creative team, so maybe you uh-huh. know they can for the next season they can you know expand their depiction of pansexuality. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it'll be interesting to see because I know they're in production on season two at the moment. I mean, it was initially greenlit for the two seasons, so I, I wonder if they're able to take into any of the fan response into account. Uh, account even uh, like the positive stuff, like oh, the fans really like this character. Let's mm-hmm. show more of them. Um, this is unrelated to anything, but I mm-hmm. the so the weird sisters. There's there's Prudence, there's Agatha, and then there's Dorcas. Which it took me until episode nine to realize that Dorcas wasn't like their mean name. They were just calling her like like Dor like you're such a Dorcas. <laughs> I feel very dumb for not putting that together. 
I assume that's a name with like a witchy history in its own, but um, it's a I'm very not sure. old. It's a very old fashioned name. Um, and what yes. I found that oh, that helps me with those, I watch almost everything with the closed captioning on, which you know, which, oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah, which which Smart. really helps with that kind of thing. Because I mean, the first time you hear it, yeah, like it takes a second, you know, like, mm. where you're like, wait, what did they call her? And then you realize, yeah, that that's her name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I want to talk about this show in relation to Riverdale, but, uh, we're kind of about time for another break. So let's, let's throw it a commercials real quick. Okay. And we're back still talking season one of Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, you know, this show, I as at least as it was written about initially, was kind of conceived as a spinoff of sorts of Riverdale. I think there was maybe a point in time where it was going to be on the CW. Yeah. And, of course, it wasn't. It was on Netflix. And I, I think that allowed us to, obviously, one, show a little bit more blood and a little bit, get a little bit more darker um, and more, like, realistic in terms of, like, Satanism, uh, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um but also let us get so much darker. I, I don't know. They're 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 different shows for sure. Um, you know, obviously uh, we we here at Dial in for Maple are way into Riverdale yeah. and just never stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I I think that like where this show succeeds, that like m- you know a lot of people brought up some issues with season two. That sometimes season two of Riverdale didn't always succeed. Is that you know. Oh, I said this earlier on in our recording, like even when it gets dark, this show is always like having some fun. It's like Mm. very, there just seems to be a lot of fun. Like the Archie prison stuff, I think, or I'm sorry, Archie mafia stuff in season two, like it just got so uh, heavy handed and like it did get fun in one episode where a character named Papa Poutine shows up. (laughs) Then I'm like, oh, now we're working with fire here. But like, I, I think that there's some, some ways in which the show succeeds in, in ways that Riverdale didn't always. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's it's definitely a better drama than Riverdale. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let's... I also just, you know, Riverdale is basically a soap opera. And I think, you know, mm-hmm, people mm-hmm. use that term way too dismissively. You know, <laughs> like, it's... I mean, it it's... But it's a great soap opera, right? Like, I, yeah. you know, I, I yep. think about the mafia stuff. Like, you know, I'll... I, did not keep up with the show week to week after the first season. There's just so much TV. Um, <laughs> there is. <laughs> and so, you know, I'd catch up, you know, like with, you know, one half of the season and then the other half of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, by the time I get to the third season and this idea of Archie being in jail and then like this performance outside the prison yard where, you know, they're, they're singing an Elvis Presley song. I was just like, I don't question <laughs> You know, I mean, if I were an expert like uh, you and Mara and, of course, LaToya Ferguson, (laughs) who reviews Riverdale for Uh the AV Club. Love um, LaToya. I, you know, I I might question things more, but, like, I don't question it. I'm just like, (laughs) I'm just along for the ride. So I do think Sabrina is, I mean, you know, it's just it's a a tighter drama. Um, And I also think Mm -hmm. that the goals are different here. I think, you know, um, they're... Aguirre, Aguirre Sacasa. I always worry that I'm getting that wrong. Um, 
that he <laughs> me too he's much more ambitious about like you know the the bigger themes of the show and but you know to tie the two together you know i think about something that latoya um has written about in her reviews and it's that the you know mm-hmm. the, even the adults in riverdale don't act like adults like everybody is kind of a teenager right like you know yeah they, right they, they can barely control themselves um but here you know, even if the adults haven't always acted with the best intentions, even if they ha- don't always get the best <laughs> results, they do act like adults. Like there's, you know, they and, yeah. and it, it speaks to like the, you know, the 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 town's wicked past. Like, uh, you know, they, there's there's a very visual reference or a very obvious visual reference to Nightmare on Elm Street. in one of the episodes um, you see, mm. um, oh, God, Harvey is on his bed with headphones and that kind of like crop top. Ah, the cut off. Jo- yep. Yeah. Do you remember? Okay, so that's like, you know, like it, it's it's a little sly, it's a little fun, but when you think about <laughs> the overall show, like what it has in common with the Nightmare on Elm Street movies is this idea that like um, you can protect, and uh, you know, even the house, uh, uh, the haunting of Hill House, and it's this idea that like yeah. the lengths that people will go to to protect kids but it usually involves, you know, just completely uh, depriving them of agency, right? Like they just don't tell these kids that Freddy Krueger exists or that, you know, right. ghosts are real or that, you know, hey, no, like this town hung 13 women, you know, like and like this is the this is a part of their history. And I, I think this is for me, like this is what the shows have in common, but also what Sabrina does very goes about in a very different way. You're, you're totally right. Yeah, that's a great assessment of the two. Um, and of course, we can't talk about Riverdale in relation to this show without mentioning, and I'm wondering if you caught this too, um, in episode seven or eight or nine, uh, Mary Wardwell orders a pizza. Yes. Did you recognize the pizza boy? I did not. I did oh, not. Oh, okay. So his name is Ben, and it even says so on his name tag. He has shown up in Riverdale multiple times, and in fact, um, he's pretty important to the beginning of season three, but he was like this weird character that you would notice. He was in season season one working at the, the drive-in theater, and then he showed up in season two. Um, he had like this weird interaction with, with Chick, um, and... Uh, I don't know what the timeline of the of Sabrina is in relation to Riverdale, but I mean, I think you could assume that in the show, Mary Wardwell maybe would have tried to eat him because we know that she does eat people's souls. Um, yeah. So I'm not really sure. It it doesn't. Fo- it's really funny that they threw that in because it's essentially like an Easter egg if you're watching and paying attention to Riverdale. But yeah. I I don't know that it really like fits in with the storyline of Riverdale at all. Maybe this all took place before the most recent happenings in season three. It, um, it'll be very, very, very to funny. See, right? If like the guy yeah, suddenly absolutely. starts behaving differently. Well, he sure does. Um, <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything oh, for okay. you, but uh, we get some interesting stuff happening. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk more after, after off mic. Um, man, I want to talk so much more about all this. I, we we're on a time constraint, of course, yes. uh, which is tough to talk about a whole season, but, I do think we should hop in. We like to hop in the speculation booth on Dialin for Maple. We imagine it being at Pops to talk about what we think is going to happen next. But now we're sitting down at Dr. Cerberus's yes. bookshop slash cafe um, to talk about what we think is going to happen in season two. Um, what What are your thoughts? Like, what, what, what would you be looking forward to in season two? 
Um, you know, I I want to see Sabrina really just go for it as a witch, you know, mm-hmm. um, because she is aware that she comes, you know, she has this, you know, impressive lineage. You know, her dad was the high priest at one point, and like, I just wanted to, I want to see her being very ambitious there. Um, I think that would be yeah. very cool. And, you know, I think we've we've spoken, we've already addressed how we want to, see, how we'd like to see other characters rounded out, you know, because I, I mean, I, I would like to see more of Prudence, especially considering, and um, God, I really hope that no one listening to this hasn't finished the show. But, you know, there's that bit with, with Zelda where she has taken Father Blackwood's mm-hmm. uh, twin daughter from him to protect her and she could have only done that with prudence's knowledge and so like i that for me is exciting like i i would really like to see how they all end up working together because you know it it sets up this you know like there's father blackwood's boys club and then you know (laughs) zelda's putting together her you know woman identifying club Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm you're right. I and I I wonder too. I mean, this kind of ties into something that I would love to see is that, you know, we kind of get Madame Satan's like full plan at yeah. the very end of the season there, which is she wants to become queen, but it's like I could see something happening where she finds out that Satan does want Sabrina to replace her, but then he's just willing to cast her aside, in which case then she's going to want to turn on Satan too, and I would really love if she kind of is the big bad for a while, but then we like kind of need to have her and Sabrina team up. Yeah. Uh, I would love for that to happen. And I, I wonder, yeah, I, I mean, it does definitely appear that the show is going to go more into the like down with the patriarchy uh, story, which I'm really excited about. Like, I would love for them to kind of be like, wow, we are still, we think we have like free will within this like religion, but we're still being controlled by the people at the top, namely Father Blackwood. Um, I would I would love to see some of that, some more of that. Um, I well, we talked about Zelda uh, ending up with that that baby at the end of the season, mm-hmm. Father Blackwood's other baby. What, the other Hilda's end of season little twist is she, well, she kind of has like a little flirty back and forth, little meet cute with Doctor Cerberus, and then um, the very end they kiss and he walks away and his eyes flash. What does that mean? <laughs> Okay, so I am working from – I'm jumping a little ahead, but maybe we'll just, like, merge the fan theory stuff in with our please, speculation. Please. But there's yes. obviously somebody hunting witches, right? I mean, like, yeah, that's uh-huh, that, uh-huh. that's what we're – you know, there's the, the warlock that ended up at the Spellman Mortuary. And so I'm thinking he's he's the witch hunter. Yeah, I mean, that could make sense. There were so many mentions of that, and then it isn't really addressed. I mean, I thought it was going to be Ambrose's love interest, Luke, for a little bit there, Mm -hmm. especially with the way the iguana familiar um, turns up dead after he had spent the night. But that doesn't seem to be the case. So, yeah, we've got to get more into that. But it it did make me wonder. It's like, is the witch hunter also, like, why would his eyes change color? Does he then have magical powers, too? I mean... It's also like how willing is the show to get into other fantastical creatures? Like he could be a werewolf. He could be a vampire. Like, I, I don't know. I, I do think, I mean, it, I think they're they're definitely going to work in different types of like supernatural beings, you know, like it's mm-hmm. hopefully mm-hmm. they won't completely lose, you know, the, the thread along the way. But 
it will be interesting to see that. There's just there's so there's been so much witch hunter talk. You know, Harvey comes yeah. from a line of witch hunters, which I you know I don't even think that that's just a way of making the character more interesting. For me, that spoke to how you know even like the nicest guy benefits from patri- from the patriarchy. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, totally. I, I guess we haven't even like really gotten into Harvey a ton. Um, he's just so innocent and such a yeah. good supportive boyfriend for so long. But yeah, that kind of jibes with with everything else going on and, and they kind of have to part ways. But it's it's interesting. And then of course we also get this Nicholas Scratch character. Yeah. Um which, yeah, I'm kind of jumping through too. Uh, but th- there's a fan theory on the comments of the reviews um, from uh, commenter Father Octavian. They, sa- uh, they said about Nick Scratch. But this show, this is a show that has done some deep dives into Judeo-Christian mythology. So it would know that before his fall from grace, Lucifer was the morning star. And in quotes. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Um, he's this this theory says having made Sabrina fearful of a towering goat creature, she'd never suspect her friend Nick. That presents a powerful avenue for of seduction. So this theory basically posits that maybe Nick is also like the devil, Satan incarnate, working in certain ways. Whether that is a fully different being from this like goat like Satan creature we've been seeing, or or what, I'm not really sure. But that's an interesting theory. Yeah, because Nick Scratch is like an old folksy name for the devil as I, well. Yeah. So. Exactly. Could just be an illusion, but and, yeah, it could just um, be han- that he's a handsome devil because he is. But you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, man, okay, we really truly are unfortunately running out of time. But I, are there any other big like theories or thoughts about like a he- you know about season two or where we might be headed that you want to address? Um, you know, just that uh, like again, this is a fan theory from Ryan AAD. And it's that, you know, that Zelda maybe just wants to take another crack at parenthood, right? That she, you know, Mm -hmm. she feels like she failed in raising Sabrina. Although, you know, I think Sabrina um, taking her place uh, with the weird sisters uh, might change her feelings there. Um, But it, you know, I, I do think that 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 teases, you know, more development for the character. And I am here for more Miranda Otto, so... It's intriguing. <laughs> she is so good. Absolutely. I think it says a lot that like, um, you know, in these 10 episodes, we we re- like sort of get to know all these characters and we really have come to like a lot of them and we, we want to know more. We want to see more. I think that sh- says a lot about how much the show accomplished in these 10 episodes that, you know, people are excited to see more from everyone. And that's all to say, like we didn't even get to really touch on just the sets and production design of this whole thing. Like it is a really incredible series on, on, on that front too. Um, well, we'll take one last quick break before we come back to say goodbye. Uh, but yeah, we'll be right back. Okay, and we are back um, to wrap things up with a special edition of Dial M for Maple, a.k.a. Dial M for Magic, where we've been talking about the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Usually we wrap up every episode with what we call the blue and gold, where we talk about (laughs) the life, uh, the real world outside of Riverdale and the cast and the funny things they post on social media. I just really quickly wanted to shout out the video that Netflix put out, which I thought was really smart. 
um, they had the cast of the Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I think they watched at least an episode or two or clips of the show and showed their reactions. And like that show is so, so, so different from what we, we've been watching mm-hmm. on Netflix just now. So it's really funny to see them react and kind of uh, in horror. I mean, I, it, they definitely seem to like it, but react in horror to like what the show is. <laughs> it was so funny. You saw that, right? That video? Yes. Uh, it's it's yeah, especially funny because Melissa Joan Hart is in those God's Not Dead movies. So I do kind of oh wonder. God, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I so didn't even think about that. That adds a whole other whole nother layer. But yeah, no, that that video is great. That um, I got to kick out of that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that. I, I am wondering um, uh, how long until some of the more like conservative corners of like Christianity come across this and like start to like try and get it blacklisted or taken <laughs> off Netflix because of how how far into like Satanism and the show goes. I mean, it's really and the occult and all of that. Like, it's really impressive. Obviously, really well researched and mm. um, uh, it, super interesting. I don't know. Was there is there anything else you wanted to say before we have to wrap things up? Any other final thoughts on the show or anything at all? Um, gosh, like I wish we had been able to talk about Jazz. Um, yes, because she she's great. Yeah, she she's great, and you know I really like that she has her own, you know, a, like she she's got a, a really interesting like family history. Um, totally. Yeah, it's but this is what I get for babbling about uh <laughs> about nightmare on Elm that's Street. always how it goes no 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 that's that's always how recording these goes it's totally fine um i'm so happy to have you maybe we can do a part two one day where we dig even deeper into some of this stuff um but uh we should wrap things up so thank you again danette um i'll run into our credits uh dialing for maple is a production of onion inc our theme music is by Stuart wood and our engineer is stephen hollager our producer is leah steltonpole and our creative director is leo garcia the show was hosted this week by myself cameron sheets and thanks again to special guest danette chavez danette thank you so much thank you um if (laughs) thanks if you like the show tell your friends they won't even have to try that hard to find us we're on apple Podcasts, spotify google play stitcher and in anywhere else you get your podcasts can also follow us on twitter at dial in for maple thanks and we'll see you guys very very soon when riverdale takes us back to the 90s with the midnight club bye bye ravens <laughs>